Hello, this is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, Chair and Professor of Psychiatry at Columbia University, and this is Shrink Speak. In honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, I'm going to be conducting a series of interviews with individuals who have made it their cause to talk about mental illness because it's been part of their life. I'm honored to be joined today by Nina Giles. Nina is the youngest daughter of Carolyn Scott Reibold, a fashion model best known as one of Grace Kelly's friends and bridesmaids. She has a new book that recently was released called The Bridesmaid's Daughter, From Grace Kelly's Wedding to a Women's Shelter, Searching for the Truth About My Mother. I was involved in the formative stages of the book to provide psychiatric expert input to uh, the story and present at the launch party and in the process have gotten to know Nina Uh, members of her family, her collaborator on the project. And let me just tell you, this is an incredibly interesting and moving account of a person's life and the way it can be impacted by mental illness and also reflecting our society's unfortunately unenlightened and inadequate approach to dealing with illnesses of the brain that affect mental function and behavior. And it's with the efforts of people like Nina who are willing to talk and write about their experiences that we gain greater insight and hopefully a greater awareness and uh, move towards a better way of helping people with mental illness. So Nina, thank you for being with me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You're in the midst of a book tour. How's it going? It's great. Actually, I have a lot of events coming up this month and yeah, it's going really well. Well, that's wonderful to hear. I assume that the response you've gotten has been favorable from people? Yes, very favorable. And it's just, it's wonderful to hear from people all over the world that have been touched by the story. And I've been communicating back and forth with some of them. Now, for you, as the, I'm sure that, you know, the decision to write the book was a challenging one. But, you know, after having gone through it and, and where you are, is this something that you feel has been a great kind of expiation and, and catharsis, or do you feel that it's it's sort of re- reactivated uh, very painful memories and, and, and experiences? Well, I think the in the beginning and um, over the course of four and a half years, it was a very painful experience. You know, I cried a little bit every day just thinking about the sadness of my mother's life and my lost childhood. But now I hope that by sharing my story, I can inspire others to do, to do the same. Because at this point, after going through the whole process and really trying to understand uh, mental illness better and what happened, how it impacted my life, I I'm much more comfortable in my own skin after doing this. Much more confident, and I just feel as passionate as ever that you know this cause is very important to me because of the impact it's had on my life. Well, I know that you've been uh, publicly active as an advocate for mental illness, and, and you served as vice president of the board of the Association of Mentally Ill Children of Westchester for over a decade. And in having read the book, talked with you, it seems like you know, your fate, so to speak, has been intertwined with the you know, social cause or mission of uh, improving the, the lot of people who have mental illness the advocacy piece, too, I, you know, I am going, the book is going to be sold at NAMI and the Postpartum Support International. I'm so excited. about. I'm going to both because, you know, for me, I, it's, 
I just want to learn as much as I can. You know, it, it, it really, mental health, it really is my passion. Well, first, just to frame it for people who aren't aware of the story, Nina is uh, the child of a woman who was just born with great beauty, came from a small town in Ohio, at a young age came to New York, as so many people did then, stayed at the famous Barbizon Hotel, which is for women on 63rd Street in the east side, became acquainted there with a young woman who similarly arrived under similar circumstances who turned out to be Grace Kelly, and they became best of friends. And they had a long, successful professional engagement, personal friendship, and then their lives took divergent courses. And that's really the story of the book, and it's uh, extraordinarily powerful. It seems that your life has really been framed in at least two and possibly three different ways in terms of you as a person growing up and pursuing a life by mental illness. You know, the first was that after you were born, your mother, even though she was a caring mother, already had begun to show signs of mental disturbance and some behavioral abnormalities, which you were the really, really the, the most uh, direct recipient of. Can you just sort of tell us about that for a minute? Well, I, I believe my mother became mentally ill after I was born. I don't have a memory of a mother that was normal. Um, my entire childhood was dysfunctional. She kept me out of school, um, in elementary school. If you were to add up the number of days that I attended, it would be the equivalent of one year. So um, I spent a lot of time isolated with her. She was very sad. Um, I never felt like I had the same kind of bond that my sisters shared with her. I knew that was something was missing. But I know that she loved me, but she was very preoccupied with illnesses. She told me I had rheumatic fever, that I had internal bleeding, a lot of things that didn't make sense. There was a year where she took me to 50 doctors. So she was, you know, her life was very unhappy. Um, so your mother had you when she was 31. Yes. And uh, prior to that, uh, she had been a successful fashion model who was working, gainfully employed, earning pretty good uh, money, and living independently, leading in a very active social life, and was you know best friends with Grace Kelly, and they were you know arguably you know some of the most uh, socially active and attractive women in town, and it seems that it was the pregnancy and birth yes. that precipitated the onset of her illness. Yes, I. I because um, my, well, my parents built the dream house on Long Island uh, the year before I was born. And um, when I was born, I, my mother was, if you think about it, she was 5'4", I was 10 pounds, 10 ounces. She had had two C-sections and then had a hysterectomy at the time of my birth. So I know she was in the hospital for a very extended period of time. She didn't even name me for a week. So, I mean, there were signs that this was a very difficult time for her. Um, and at that same time, after I was born, here she is isolated in this big, beautiful house on Long Island, but away from friends that might have recognized some of the symptoms. I, I think that's part of you know, what was going on, is no one who knew her well was around to see her and to see the changes that were taking place. So we're talking about you know, the 1950s. Mm -hmm. and, uh, 60s. 60s. Yes. She was at age 31... She had you, and that was 1960? The end of 1959. I was Nin born in November. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is tragedy number one. Postpartum 
mental conditions are highly prevalent. In fact, it's estimated that between 20 and 30 percent of women have clinically significant postpartum mental conditions, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, or uh, the most extreme case, psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and this past year, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology has put out a guideline that all women should be screened for mental conditions pre- and postpartum. But back then, it wasn't. And in this case, your mother suffered the consequence, developed symptoms, which would have been, I can't say definitively, but with a high degree of confidence, that uh, she would have responded to treatment and things would have been entirely different. But treatment was lacking, and the rest is the history of your life. So you were sort of victim of this. It took the form of her overprotectiveness, her fearing that you were sick, her being kind of germaphobic and everything and keeping out of school. But this wasn't Munchausen by proxy. This wasn't her trying to fabricate illnesses and inflict them on you. What this was is her delusions Mm -hmm. that were being acted upon by her and were really focused on on you and your well-being. So in some ways, it was really an act of love, but it came across in a way that was pathologic. And that's how it felt. Um, I think also it was very complicated because of what was going on around me. I I remember times saying, I don't want to go to school. I don't feel well. But instead of her saying, um, you know, what she would say to a young child, you'll be okay. You know, I'll go with you. I'll do something to make it easier. She would overreact. And then, you know, you have a stomach ache. We have to go to a gastroenterologist. Um, If I, I told her once I had heart palpitations, she took me to a cardiologist in New York City, no less. So it was always an overreaction to these symptoms. I didn't get the right guidance as a child. So it was just this, you know, vicious cycle, I think, that wasn't working. (laughs) Well, it's not infrequent that you have situations where children become the parents or children have to fend for themselves because of the parent's disability. And that seems like what was the case for you. And in many cases, this kind of early hardship leads to greater resilience and, and, and independence. But at a certain age, you felt that you needed to escape also. And you did it at age 14? Age 14, I, I moved in with my older sister in New York City. Right. And in, in some ways, that's really for survival, self-protection, to, to get on with your life in a way that isn't... I mean, growing up is difficult enough... Mm-hmm. But when you then have the burden of a mentally ill parent who you have to care for or adapt your behavior to, it's even more difficult. So in some ways, would it be fair to characterize this was an act of like survival and escape? Oh, no doubt. Yes. And I was able to go to school. I would have gone to school if I had 105 fever. <laughs> I was enjoying life in New York City and, and um, living with my sister, and that went on for two years, and then my father told me he couldn't afford to pay for the private school anymore and that I was going to go to uh, public school. And all I remember is just yellow tiled walls and graffiti, and that scared the hell out of me. So I ended up moving to St. Thomas with my boyfriend and living there for three years and perhaps getting a different kind of education, um, working full-time at age 16. And so the second, uh, what I'll call tragedy, you know, tragic milestone in your life was, so you've, you've escaped, you're on your own, you're basically uh, developing independence, and uh, you're 
mature adult identity, and your mother is still reckoning with the mental illness that she has, and she has not received treatment for. Right. And uh, things got worse. I mean, you, from the book, remained in contact with her, but you weren't actively living with her, seeing her involved with her. And it wasn't until 10, 15 more years later that things climaxed or, or, or worsened in the sense that she became ill severely enough that she was taken to Kings County Hospital. And you were notified of that? Yes, and that was when I had my first child. My daughter was uh, very young, and I got the call from Kings County, and the doctor told me, gave me the first diagnosis I'd ever heard, and that was that she had paranoid schizophrenia um, because he would only have been able to diagnose her based on the symptoms he saw in front of him. So that was the first time in her life that she was receiving a sort of a formal diagnosis from a medical professional mm-hmm and received treatment? No treatment. She, she refused. Um, she went from there to the shelter, to the armory, um, which is you know, a place for 55- and 55-year-old women and older and mentally ill. And when she was there, she refused to go to a psychiatrist or, or take any medication. And I think she was probably afraid, mm-hmm. too. So just remind me, when, when did Grace Kelly marry, marry Prince Rainier? 1956. 1956. And so uh, your mother would have been how old then? Um, let's see. She was born. She would have been 28 So, 20s. So this was, this was before she had you, before she began to get yes. ill. Mm-hmm. And she was attending and bridesmaid at the marriage of her best friend. Mm-hmm. And then she returns home, has you, becomes ill, is not diagnosed or treated. And after that really kind of falls on hard times, gets hospitalized, but still refuses treatment, and then ends up in a women's shelter uh, at the New York Armory on Park Avenue, which ironically is just a few blocks from the Barbizon Hotel for Women. I, and I think, yeah, she actually in some ways wanted to go back to that area, and she found a way to do it. It was near the Manhattan House, where she and Grace also lived, um, and the Barbizon. While your mother descended into a psychotic illness and became abnormal and not functional in the uh, expected and, and typical way, and she ultimately set up a home in, in the shelter, she did have a life. And she, she was able to function and uh, manage herself in a way that showed that she had interest in things and motivation and so forth, and she didn't get into trouble while doing it. Not at all. In fact, um, I was so touched. I got um, a message on Facebook from one of the guards who worked at the shelter, and he was there for about a year during the time that she was there, and he he talked to her once, and he told me a little bit about what she was like there. He said she very much kept to herself, but she had a routine, she would go out every morning. She would come back for lunch. She'd go out again. Um, but, she, yeah, she stayed under the radar, sort of. She somehow managed. And I think she enjoyed some of the things that she did in New York. She, she really loved New York City. Well, in many ways, uh, uh, you know, she really uh, exemplifies the story of people coming from small towns all over the United States to New York mm-hmm. City. But in her case, it was... Um, you know, not a Holly Go Lightly who 
came to New York and lived in a fantasy. It was uh, someone who came to New York and just, you know, living a conventional life by marrying, having children, was beset by a totally, you know, uninvited and something that she didn't in any way contribute, you know, causally to uh, an illness which changed the entire direction of her life and uh, led to a very different kind of life. And you mentioned the fact that even though she came to New York you know, as a young adult, you know, she really became a New Yorker because she liked Manhattan. She came in, she always brought you there for the doctors you saw, you went to the ballet. I don't think she trusted the doctors on Long Island. Right. Yeah. And she and took you to the, the ballet and other you know, performing arts events. Mm-hmm. And even when she was uh, ill and, and homeless, you know, she had a clear preference for geographically where she wanted to be. Absolutely. Nina, you, you know, your story is uh, incredibly moving and, you know, dramatic. But it's probably uh, accurate to say that um, the reason that you had publishers eager to take the book was because of your mother's association with Grace Kelly, you know, a celebrity. But there's many, many other cases that are the same or or similar that are occurring all the time that go on unknown to you know the people in general and the public at large so it's really important that your story be told because it's something that can gain commercial interest from a publisher and also public interest in terms of that in in your thinking about this and making the decision to publish how did you sort of weigh these various factors well i I wanted to tell the story. I felt it was important to tell it. Um, as far as Grace, I, I can't take her out of the story. She's very, very important to the story. And I do feel that, you know, my mother's story may get more recognition because of, you know, because of Grace. Do you think that any members of the royal family in Monaco uh, will read it and uh, respond in any way? I hope so. Um, I did try to reach out to them. Uh, while I was doing the research for the book, and I did make a trip to Monaco, and they were—I didn't meet any of the family members, but they were incredibly nice. Um, the private secretary, you know, set up a private tour for me at the palace in Monaco, and I visited the um, Princess Grace Irish Library. So I felt, in that way, they were respecting, you know, the friendship. And of course. Uh, uh Grace Kelly died prematurely in that terrible auto accident, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, she she preceded it with her her death uh, your mother by some what fifteen or more years. Uh, a little more, because uh, she died in nineteen eighty two. Mm. Okay, yeah. that's right. Did they let you win in the casino? I did win in the casino. <laughs> I did. <laughs> well, that... I was an awesome winner. Well, hundred dollars, whatever it was. Yeah. Well, if, if for nothing else, that that that, was, that made the trip worth it. So, Nina, as a, a child of a mother who was becoming increasingly mentally ill, you in many ways never got to know your mother. You were young, and uh, children only have limited awareness of their parents in terms of their reality. And then she was uh, acting in a way that was influenced by her increasingly uh, worsening symptoms. And then when you left at age 14, you became kind of estranged from her and uh, weren't that actively involved. So when you d- decided to do the book and you had to go back and find out you know, the story in more detail, uh, what was that like for you? 
Well, I wanted to understand her life before me, when she was happy. Who was this beautiful woman in the picture smiling back at me? Because that's not the woman that I knew. And about a year before she died, I, um, I was visiting her at the hospital, and my sister had brought um, a McCall's cover of her. And it made such an impression on me, and I thought, well, I have to go on eBay and see what else I can find. So over the past four and a half years in researching the book, I was also researching her career. So I've been to the Library of Congress, the FIT Library, New York Public Library. I've um, dealt with collectors, ordered magazines on eBay, and I've documented eight years of her career. Literally, I have the photos in Dropbox, an Excel spreadsheet, and I know, you know, her entire career. And so now, instead of being ashamed of this mother who was mentally ill and lived in a shelter, I'm able to be proud of what she accomplished, and I feel so much love for her, and, you know, I just, the recognition of what she accomplished in her earlier years. That's incredible. So, you know, by virtue of deciding to do the book and the research involved with it, you got to know the mother that you couldn't have because you hadn't been yet been born. Mm-hmm. I just can't help thinking about what a, a just shameful and, and sad reflection it is on our society that someone who had this beauty and grace and promise and went through just the normal processes of getting married, having a child, but then getting sick of something that's imminently treatable and diagnosable would suffer this kind of, this kind of fate and outcome. And even if she didn't have the wherewithal to understand that she was ill and needed treatment herself, because you know, when you're mentally ill, particularly with a psychotic disorder, which affects your brain, which is the organ that you use to make judgments and decisions about what's good or what's not good, the health professionals or family concerned couldn't do anything because you can't force somebody to accept treatment unless, and what's the, the common refrain that's been repeated to you over and over again? Yes, unless she was a danger to herself or someone else, there was nothing they could do. And I got very tired of hearing that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, I, the only thing I can say that uh, uh, you know, was remotely comparable is that I have the same experience from a different perspective, which is that uh, in treating patients, frequently, repeatedly faced with individuals who are manifestly ill, need treatment, don't want it, and as doctors, we're not allowed to do anything because we have to hew to the letter of the law, mm-hmm. and the law is the law, but in this case, I think it's misguided in not allowing people who uh, are refusing treatment to not receive care and is in their best interests. So Absolutely. this must have been really frustrating and painful for you over these many years that this was occurring. It was, and um, then having you know a child who is developmentally disabled and um, mentally ill, severely mentally ill, taught me to be an advocate. And that changed my thinking towards my mother. Um, It actually helped me help my mother. So that I would, uh, you know, sort of regard as like the third milestone Mm -hmm. in your, in your lifelong experience with mental illness. You know, you were the child of a woman who was descending into mental illness. You then were sort of constrained by the mental health system, mental health law, and not being able to do anything while your mom really languished uh, as a homeless person in shelters. And then when you had a child, she also was affected. Yes, and what 
actually was really difficult. It was incredibly difficult for me in the beginning because I thought she was perfectly normal and healthy, and then at age two and a half, she started having seizures, and now I am a mother of a child who needs to be taken to the doctor all the time. <laughs> and that was really a difficult period in my life because all I wanted my entire life was just an average life, you know, not fame and glamour, not, you know, I just wanted an average life and happy life. And to have a child with, um, you know, major issues like that was incredibly difficult. But I loved her and I rose to the challenge. And as many special needs parents do, you do what you have to do. But I, it, it helped me in some ways, helped my mother and understand her. And, and how old is your daughter? She's 33 now. Mm-hmm. And where does she live? She's in a group home. Uh-huh in Westchester. Well, you know, there's a saying that uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, or that uh, God only gives you as much as he thinks you can stand, Mm -hmm. and uh, you obviously must be a very strong person, because he's given you a lot, or he or she, excuse my political incorrectness, has given you a lot to bear, but just for what I've been able to perceive in the time that we've known each other, and having read the book, and sort of seen, you know, you in the aftermath of its launch, you know, you've handled it with just consummate uh, dignity, grace, and in a way that's really contributing importantly to to society and trying to make people understand what the nature of mental illness is and how it can be helped, but a lot of things need to change in order for that to be done more effectively. And unfortunately, your mother, like so many other people, have suffered from the not just the Ill, nature of the illness but the the neglect and the lack of appropriate systems of care policies and adequate resources to provide support in our society i think she's a perfect example of what happens when somebody isn't treated no no treatment no early intervention and that that's why i feel sharing this story is so important because it really clearly illustrates what can happen if somebody has a serious mental illness and they're not treated, the impact, the collateral damage on the entire family. Exactly. Well, I really thank you for sharing your story in the book and this discussion today. Wish you the best of luck with the rest of the book tour and its success and what maybe future publications, which we'll we'll learn about in due course. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. So thank you for listening. This is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman of Columbia University speaking to you for Shrink Speak.